It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome to Money for Lunch. I'm glad, I really am glad you're here. I, I am overwhelmed every time uh, with the emails and the nice stuff that you guys say on social media. Thank you so very much. And I truly appreciate you guys' support. So thank you very much for supporting the show. Whether you've been a longtime supporter or just recently joined, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Starting off with the quote of the day. Money doesn't mean anything to me. I've made a lot of money, but I want to enjoy life and not stress myself building my bank account. I give lots I give lots away and live simply, mostly out of a suitcase in hotels. We all know that good health is much more important. And that is from Keanu Reeves, actor Keanu Reeves. Money doesn't mean anything to me. I've made a lot of money, but I want to enjoy life and not stress myself building my bank account. I give lots away and live simply. Mostly out of a suitcase in hotels, we all know that good health is much more important. Very well said, Keanu Reeves. All right, let's get this party started. Let's get this party started. Uh, today, I'm being joined by Todd Gerke. Todd Gerke is an authority on finance and wealth accumulation who helps people gain complete control of their lives by teaching them ways they can make their money work for them so they don't have to work as hard for their money. He found a concept in 2007 called affluentology. I love it, affluentology, and currently teaches courses on how the affluent manage their money differently. He is a minority owner of Zenith Home Loans, headquartered in Denver Tech Center, in the, De- in the Denver Tech Center, where he leads a team of residential mortgage professionals, He's a published author and business success coach, Todd Gerke. Welcome to Money for Lunch. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, I'm excited to talk about this because money, for the most part, we, when I say we, I think society as a whole, uh, not just here in America, but I think in most, of, uh, in most um, uh, first world countries, there's a love-hate relationship with money for most people, right? I mean, we all know that we should be making a bunch of money, but then there's there's times where we where we uh, uh, maybe disparage those who make money. Uh, there are times uh, we, there's individuals who make a lot of money at the end of the year they can't pay their taxes. Uh, so we have a weird relationship when it comes to money, don't we? Yeah, it, it, it's. It's kind of interesting. I think, I don't know, I'm not necessarily a conspiracy theorist, but I think there's something to that. I think the people that that structure a lot of the finances um, make it kind of a taboo subject. I mean, I know I I grew up in uh, northern Wisconsin, and we never, ever had any discussions about money, ever. Even to this day with my parents and and it was one of those things where everyone is embarrassed because they don't really understand how it works. 
and they're intimidated by it, but it is paramount to, I mean, they're, you know, money can't buy happiness. I don't know. I, I, I think we need to treat this like it is very important. And, and one of the things that I share a lot is if you don't care about your money, don't expect that anybody else does. The financial planner, the guy that you may hire, you know, it, it's, he's not going to put your money in front of his own. It's just kind of human nature, right? So if, if you're not considering this important to you, then why would you ever expect anyone else is going to consider your money important to them? Absolutely. And you know what? Money is important. And to deny that money is important, uh, I think that right there, most people, uh, th- th- you know, that right there is, is a weak starting position. And so, now, is money more important than, you know, in that uh, – I, I just did a Keanu Reeves quote, uh, and you may not have heard it because uh, I, I, I accidentally left you in the green room there. But, you know, Keanu Reeves says, hey, you know, money isn't that important to him. Uh, he likes to live simply. He's made a lot of money. He gives it all away. And, and health, you know, and health is, is very important. So, so bottom line is money is not – as important as a lot of things, but it's in the top three or four or five things in life. I mean, you know, you know, there, there is that kind of that, uh, and you and you and you mentioned it. You know, money doesn't buy happiness, but let me tell you, lack of money is a is a great down payment for a miserable life. And yes, you can point to people like the Amish who don't have a lot of money, but I don't want to live like them. And, and, and if they're having fun and they're feeling fulfilled and, and uh, what do you call it, they're living their dreams, then, you know, more power to them. I don't want to live in a tiny house. I hate tiny houses, you know. And, and so, you know, money is important. Uh, and, and, and to balance that, you know, what I had a mentor who was a great mentor when it came to things like real estate and money. But he and but he had been divorced and married like four or five times. So he was a terrible mentor when it came to relationships. This guy was a workaholic. He loved working. He loved making money. He was good at it. And if and 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 it was funny because on Sundays when he worked on Saturdays and Sundays, his ex-wives would bring the kids over. So they could hang out with their dad at the office for a little bit. And in some respect, that was a great teaching, a great lesson, because I, I didn't want that either. So I learned a lot from him. And, and, you know, bottom line, money is important. And people who say that money is not important are probably, uh, you know, trying to sell you something or are not having money. Or, or let me rephrase it, or having money issues, right? And they're trying to compensate for that. But money is very important. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So one of the things, you know, I, I like like you had mentioned, I've got a mortgage company. And, and, you know, a lot of people think that we are in the business to do loans, but we really don't look at it that way at all. We want to help people understand their long and short-term financial goals and their current cash flow and equity objectives. And one of the things that we often see, it's, it's a common, you know, for example, I'll ask people, um, do you receive a refund or do you owe money when you pay your taxes or, or when it, you file your taxes? And, and, you know, they'll say one or the other and they'll say, well, yeah, I get a refund. So, well, how much? 
and um, it's a dollar amount. And I say, okay, so what do you do with it? And they say, well, I pay off my credit cards. So, all right, so let's take that as a scenario because this is, this is something that happens fairly common. I see sure. clients that have money in the bank and they have balances on credit cards. And, and I use this visual. If you can, you know, imagine you're sitting there at your desk and you're paying your bills. You know, we're going we're gonna to go old school and say you, you're sitting there writing checks. And, and you've got this gentleman in, the, in a brown suit in the corner behind you. And he's smiling and he's happy and, and he's your banker guy and, and he's got – he shows balance, $2,000, and, and uh, underneath it it says 75 bucks a month. And you're happy with that. And, and um, you got a guy in the other corner behind you in the left side there, and he's, on, he's in a blue suit. And he's happy and he's smiling at you and he's, he shows balance and it says whatever, 2500 bucks, and underneath it it says zero. And so the guy in the blue suit is holding on to your money and you're happy to have him because you need money in savings, right? In case something happens. And then you've got the guy over in the other corner and that's the balance. Cause you just, you're carrying a balance with him because, um, you know, you, some bills crept up or whatever it may be. And, and, uh, so you've got this money outstanding. So you decide you, you, the, you need new tires. You decided you, it's time to get some new tires, and you've got your nest egg over here, so you don't want to borrow it. So you go to the guy in the brown suit, and you say, hey, man, can I get $1,000? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. Hang on. And you watch him walk across the room, and he goes to the other side of the room, and he, he uh, takes to the guy in the, in the blue suit, and he gets 100 bucks, or I mean $1,000, and then he walks back to the other side and he hands it to you and he goes that's great here you go thanks and he flips the chart from $75 a month to $113 and says have a nice day and you go thanks and and I asked my client so where did he get the money from he goes well, well he got it from me and so that's exactly what happens over and over again is these people are carrying credit card balances or they're withholding too much into their um you know, it, with the IRS for, for tax purposes, money that's inaccessible to them, that's earning a 0% rate of return while they're paying somebody else obscene amounts of non-tax deductible interest for, for money that they could be utilizing differently. And so what, what we tell our clientele is, all right, listen, you, you don't need the 2500 at the moment because if you did, it would be gone, right? You would have spent it. Now, the guy right. in the brown suit, if you pay him, not, if you pay him off, and you end up needing $2,000, he will gladly give it to you at that time. But you don't need to carry the – you don't need to rent his two grand when you've got it sitting over here. Pay him off and then take the 75 bucks a month that you were giving him and give it to the guy in the blue suit every month and build your savings up. But stop, you know, stop fighting the current here and stop, stop paying these unnecessary charges because you feel like – I don't know. I'm not sure what the paradigm is there, but but it, a lot of people are making that mistake. So so if if I understand you correctly, are you saying, hey, uh, you know, try to pay off your credit cards as quickly as possible, and then take that money that you were paying the credit cards and start socking it away in your savings account? Yeah, get rid of all you know, you know, like um, 
Dave Ramsey has a great message, um, and I agree with several of the things he says, but not all of them, right? So, so right. and and I kind of get it. So I used to think about it a little bit more aggressively than I do now. I, I used to say that, you know, Dave Ramsey uses this chemotherapy approach to debt. All debt is bad debt, and we're going to get rid of all of it. You know, the good, like just eliminate it. And I used to think it was because he felt like the American public was not sophisticated enough to understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. Well, the reality is I don't know that it's that. I don't think he's insulting people. I think he just understands that there's a lack of discipline with a lot of people to understand, not necessarily to understand it, but just to to act upon it. He's like, listen, if you can't handle it, if you can't, if you've got a credit card and you're going to use it and not pay it in full, then you probably shouldn't have it. And, and to that degree. So, so that's kind of what I like. I, I'm a mortgage guy. I love the opportunity that we can secure long-term fixed rate debt at an extremely inexpensive cost, especially knowing how radical inflation has an impact on the dollar. Um, but yeah, the credit cards, the, the, the high cost debts, um, I use credit cards all the time and I have balances on them and I never carry the balance over ever. And it's the, it's great. I've got American Express sends me gift cards um, for 25 bucks, 50 bucks, because they appreciate the fact that I use their card. And I'm sure they're in the back room crossing their fingers, hoping that sooner or later I'm going to carry a balance and they can recoup some of those costs. But, you know, if you never, if you've always pay it in full, you never pay any interest. You just get the perks. Right. And, and most yeah. people don't do that. They fall for, well, I'm going to carry a balance because I don't want this other account to drop below a certain dollar amount or whatever it might be. And it, it's just kind of a change in, in mentality. So. Yeah. I, uh, I like that. I like that a lot. I, I think that, you know, the, 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 the stuff that's interesting about money is that in many respects, it's very simple and what I mean by that is the the first rule of money that I learned was you pay yourself first. And I think that still holds true today, right? So you, you put some money aside in savings, you know, first. And then after you, you know, uh, accumulated some money, uh, then you might look at investing it in in different scenarios. But where where people like to make money complicated, and, and this goes back to our financial uh, system out there today, money has been overcomplicated. There are so many options. You know, there, there's there is uh, so much fine print and ridiculous fees that you have to watch out for. And unless you are an accountant with a legal background, reading these prospectus are impossible. They're just, you know, you don't know what you're getting and how much you're paying. And, and back to what you were saying about a conspiracy theory, there is somewhat of a conspiracy theory. I mean, they have taken something and have made it so complicated so that in the event that you lose money 
your broker still makes money and your recourse is minimal, right? Uh, it, it's just it's just very difficult to, you know, for the average person, and I put myself in this boat, for the average person to make sense of all the stuff that's involved when you start doing research on money. Uh, and again, I'm a big believer that you need to find somebody, as you mentioned, you need to find somebody you trust. You, you got to find somebody who can coach you, advise you, and you, you kind of have to, uh, you know, be in the money game or to be in the money game is a long-term thing. It's not a short-term thing. I know that every now and then you hear these, these day traders who made a gazillion dollars and that's great, but that's not the kind of investing that I want to do. And they're, and they're doing it more as a, you know, as a, uh, to me, I think they're, you know, they're, they're not necessarily investing in, in the, in the normal sense. They're just, you know, they're just betting, Hey, this stock's going to go up today or this stock's going to go down today and we can make some quick money and we're getting out of it. Uh, and so that's not anything that I want to really get involved with. Um, I, I want to talk about this because you mentioned something about President Obama and Trump have both provided us clues of how to capitalize on economic recurrence. Talk about this. Yeah, so you know, and I and I give a whole presentation on it, but but essentially, there are some interesting similarities between what administrations did back in the 70s and what in 80s versus what has happened today so um and, and let me let me start out with this i don't i don't know anyone who has it all figured out i think it's a very i think the money game is very interesting and complicated and and unique and the observations that I see, I come up with my own hypothesis, and who knows if I'm right or wrong, but there are some eerie similarities between what's taking place now and what has taken place. So if we go back – and by the way, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. This is just observations. We're going to talk about some of the things that happen and some of the unique things that are happening um, in the Trump administration right now that actually go back to – and, and – uh, reflect some of the things that Nixon had uh, done regarding the economy. So in 1977, um, the Community Reinvestment Act was uh, signed, and it was a bill that encouraged banks to save uh, and savings associations to meet the needs of borrowers in their local communities. And one of the things that it did is reduce discriminatory credit practices against low-income neighborhoods, and it was a practice called redlining. And what it literally was these banks were taking a map out and they were drawing red circles around areas that they either were going to target because they were high risk and they could make a high yield or they were going to avoid completely. And um, that would, and this community reinvestment act has come up time and time again, and it's kind of been spit shined by different administrations. Um, but what happened during that era is we had a period of stagflation where the economy was stagnant, yet the value of the dollar was dropping. And so one of the things that took place is, I mean, the Fed funds rate, which we're talking about right now, uh, is probably going to be decreased by about a quarter percent 
uh, this month. I would expect it, it is actually. Um, but it rose to 20% uh, by the beginning of the 1980s. And we had this era then where we, the, the country in general was so frustrated that they went off of the grid and they elected a movie star not a politician who was on the other side of the aisle. And this movie star came in and he implemented his four point Reaganomics policy. And essentially what it was is number one, he was going to tighten the control of the money supply. And number two, he was going to simplify the tax code and cut marginal federal income taxes. And he was also going to reduce regulation and he was going to reduce government spending. So, some of these things that had taken place, I thought, were pretty intriguing because when President Obama was in office, we had lots of government spending. We had quantitative easing one, two, and three, which is basically the printing of money to the tune of $85 billion per month. And we saw debts increase, and we, but we haven't really seen inflation kick in. But after Obama, we get Donnie Trump, the reality TV star, uh, real estate tycoon. And what happens is we end up with a program called Path to Prosperity. And what that was is basically three points. It was, I'm going to provide families with fair, simple tax code, just like um, it was going to be cut the marginal federal income tax. It was going to be, by the way, it didn't include tightening control of the money supply because quantitative easing ended under uh, President Obama, which coincidentally enough, quantitative easing that was happening when Jimmy Carter was in office. At that time, we were printing more money than we ever had printed before, stopped under the Carter administration, not under the Reagan administration. But I digress. Then we go to under Path to Prosperity, they wanted to deregulate uh, a lot of the oppressive government regulation, which was one of the points of the Reaganomics policy. And then lastly, they wanted to stop spending. The federal budget process had collapsed and allowing government to spend recklessly, and they said, let's reduce government spending. So all of these things took place uh, very you – know, almost like we're, we're repeating it. Uh, what we had done before. However, I felt like, and I still to this day feel like the biggest landmine out of this whole thing was in 1977, the minimum wage was $2.30. By 1981, four years later, it had risen up to $3.35. So we saw roughly a 46% increase in the minimum wage in a four-year time period. So what that did Essentially, now, now keep in mind, stagflation was already taking place, but right. what that did was it had a massive impact on the dollar. So you can go to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics uh, website, and on there they've got an inflation calculator. And you can plug in the numbers and look at it, and it's pretty alarming to say if you retired, if you retired and wanted to live on your savings alone in 1977 – and you had $100 set aside for 10 years later so you could spend it when you were – in 1987, Right. you lost 40, essentially $0.48 cents on the dollar. 
well, 47 and change, which means that $100 had a purchasing power of $52 10 years later. Wow. So I'm also in, uh, we looked at housing, the average rents. Um, I, I'm in the state of Colorado, so I did some Colorado-specific numbers, um, in, in, and this is on the U.S. Census Bureau. It's on the Department of Numbers. It's on where they looked at the average rent um, in 1970 versus 1980. In Colorado, the average rent was 110 bucks. In 1980, 10 years later, it was $252. So it more than doubled. Medium home prices doubled. Uh, average home prices uh, more than doubled. So we saw lots of things going up substantially because of the value of the dollar. So in looking at some of these things, what's interesting, if you pay any attention to economic headlines, one of the unique things that um, – we've got right now is, is Donald Trump wants to weaken the value of the U.S. dollar. And it's a simple re- – if you've ever traveled internationally, you, you can go to certain places, and, and depending upon how our conversion rates are, you will, it will depend on how much you are able to do in those countries. Well, right now the dollar comparatively across the, the globe is strong, which means – that it's great for us to travel and spend our money in other countries, but it's difficult for Canadians, for example, to come to the U.S. and spend money because things are, are expensive here. So if he can weaken the value of the dollar, it will bring in more foreign money, which is all said and good. But what that does then is you know, a real estate professional calls this appreciation, but I call it inflation. It simply it takes more dollars to buy the same goods. Now, Trump just announced that he wants to weaken the value of the dollar so we can bring in more foreign currency. Uh, That's what Nixon had done. And I'm not sure what the results of all of these actions are going to be, but you know that following Nixon, when Jimmy Carter got in, that's when we had the stagflation. That's when we saw the value of the dollar drop to such an extensive level. What's interesting about inflation, it is the hidden tax. And here's what will happen. Even in today's world, if you ask any lay person what they know about inflation, they go, I don't know. It's pretty much non-existent. Well, sure, it is. However, inflation is calculated by taking the consumer price index and excluding certain items from the index like energy and food products. So other than housing, if you think about what you spend your money on, you got to eat. You heat your house, you, you, you keep it lit or cool in the summer. The things that you spend your money on outside of housing are mainly consumables like energy and food. Well, they're too erratic to be calculated into inflation at this moment, but that doesn't mean that they're not there. Now, as the definition changes, that lowers this percentage number. Last year, they changed the definition of inflation again, or the calculation rather, and they came up with something called a chained consumer price index. And so what this means is um, that they're not going to, to acknowledge that prices have gone up until not only the core product, let's say coffee, for example, goes up. They say, well, if the price of coffee gets too high, people will just drink tea. So we're not going to acknowledge the fact that the price of coffee goes up until the price of tea also goes up. Does that make sense? (laughs) 
Yeah, that's that's uh, that's an outrageous way of of uh, of keeping track of of inflation, isn't it? And what that has done is that has reduced this consumer price index by about one percent, which means everyone on a fixed income who is banking on getting a cost of living adjustment has to wait another year. They have to live on less money for a year until things adjust. Now, you know, medicine is not getting cheaper and healthcare is not getting cheaper, but they're, but the CPI now is even less. And when you look at this, even when they're talking about this being such a low and in, inconsequential in, in number, if you go today to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics website, for example, and you plug in $100, $100 today, June of 2019, and let's just dial it back to 2009. So from June to June, 100 bucks, basically $100, you lost, it, it's worth it was $84 back in 2009. So we still lost 16, well, $15.79 per hundred. 15% of our dollar we've lost just based upon inflation, even on this new insignificant, inconsequential calculation that they're being run. So if you think about it, if I can borrow a hundred bucks from you today and pay you back 10 years from now, I'm going to be paying you essentially 85 cents on the dollar. It's a good deal for me. So some of those long-term fixed rate debt things, a la mortgages, for example, are a very good investment for people to take somebody else's money today when a dollar is worth a dollar and pay them back sometime in the future when it's worth less money. Credit cards, other things are too exorbitant, and they float. They'll go up and down as rates go up and down. So you don't get to re reap the benefits of that long-term fixed rate debt. Um, I, I mentioned rents. So when you're trying to hedge against inflation, there's only a certain number of investments that you can put your money into. Um, and by the way, we talked about how complicated all this is. Right. I like to keep things, you know, I, I have no idea how most of this stuff works. So I, I go with what I know, right? I'm in the real estate space. It makes sense to me. I can see it, touch it. Um, and I get it. And I know this, the value or price, the resale price of the homes continues to go up. It goes up long-term. It will always go up, right? Even you can say, well, what about what I bought in 2005? What you bought in 2005 versus today, it's worth more money. Um, right. it, I also, there are charts that show us how significant rents have increased. So if you're buying investment properties, and securing them with long-term fixed-rate debt, the market price or value of that asset is increasing over time, and so is the rate of return as the rents increase. Because there is a chart that can show you what the average wages are, and it will also show you what the average rent requested is, and it's lockstep. As wages go up, so do these rents. Yeah, uh, you know what? It's it's amazing to think about it the, that way, and and that's what uh, what do you call it? What I said earlier that that money, the money game is a long, for the most part, is a long term game, right? It's it's not a race; it's a marathon kind of a thing, or it's not a sprint; it's a marathon. And the idea of what do you call it? Hedging your bets, you know, buying something today that 
uh, over time, the, as the dollar changes value, uh, what do you call it? Uh, in your scenario, you buy a house today and you're paying it over, you know, fixed interest over time, then the banks are going to get less value for their for their money long term, right? Uh, let's talk about this. I want to I want to talk about, uh, you know, the I think you call it the dirty little secret that's eating away at your wealth, and, and what we can do about it. Well, and that's this that's this inflation. You know, I, I have this visual. I, I remember being a little kid, and I don't know. I must have been nine and my little brother was six and we just we were at this carnival and just got cotton candy and he went on a ride and so i'm holding on to his cotton candy as he's going around this little merry-go-round thing and watching his cotton candy just dissolve and when he gets off he was so mad at me because he thought i did something because it was half the size of what it was when he got on the ride. And that is my perfect metaphor for what inflation is doing to the value of our dollar. And it's a tough game to play. So when you think about it, you know, you know, another question I ask clients is um, like, when do you expect to no longer need to work to support yourself? Um, AKA retire. But you know, a lot of people can get to the level where they no longer need to work to support themselves, but they don't quit working um and they go 65 i said okay well well what's what's going to have happened by that age that's going to allow you to do that they go well i'm gonna have enough money okay well how how much money is that going to be they go i i don't know it's like well then where did the 65 come from they go well that's just when you're supposed to. And I was like, well, but, but you know, if, if they have no idea or destination on that map, then they're never going to get there. And imagine this. We're talking about inflation, right? So you think, well, if I can get to a million dollars or two million dollars or whatever the number is, I will be okay. But the hard reality is if you save that much and then that dollar – if you have that much money today and that dollar is – dissolving in value over time due to inflation. Now you need even more. And right. think about this. This is what's going – the House of Representatives actually just passed a bill to raise the minimum wage from its current levels of seven and a quarter all the way up to $15. Now, if that happens – and by the way, this is not a new, um, not a new topic because – during the last presidential race, it, uh, Bernie Sanders wanted to raise it to $15, Clinton $15, um, Harry Reid uh, and Nancy Pelosi wanted to push it to at least $12. It wasn't a matter of should we, it was by how much. And in doing this, we're going to see the cost of goods continue to go up. Um, there's a story on the Affluentology website. It's a little explainer video of a couple that uh, was traveling in Europe. And they were at the airport, and they stopped to get just lunch, a couple of cheeseburgers and a, and a, and a drink. And the sign said, help wanted, $21 an hour. 
and the woman was leaning more on the liberal side, and the, the husband was more conservative, and, and she said, look at this. Isn't this great, honey? Look how much you can earn working here. We need to do this back home. And he said, okay, and, and they got their drinks, and they got their, their drink and their two burgers, um, and walked over, and, and he looked at the receipt, and it was $20 for the two burgers and the drink. And he said to her, here's the thing though, if we were back home, this meal would have cost us $8, but those kids would be working for $7 and 25 cents here. It was essentially 20 bucks. So it, it's all relative. And the, the real, the real risk or dilemma is, is the people that are currently retired, retired on those wages, the seven twenty-five, and now they're going to be paying out for products at, at 15 bucks. They lost half of their value. And that's the hardest, dirtiest little secret. And so the, the, biggest, the biggest focus is how can, how can we beat inflation? How can we keep up with it? Um, and, and what do we do to make sure we've got more money coming in? Um, because of this idea, I'm more interested in not how much money I can save, but how much passive income how many income streams I can get. And like I said, I, I don't understand, you know, I, I don't understand all the rules on all the different methods. I get real estate. So I know that if I can acquire real estate and I can have those rents coming in, and I know that if rents are going to double because we're going to see wages double, that means I can have that fixed payment of whatever it may be. And I can, see my rate of return on an annual basis continue to go up as the asset itself continues to go up because of a weaker dollar. But now I have more of those weaker dollars to spend. And that's the strategy that we, that, uh, that we provide and, and uh, share with, with our clientele so they can make their decisions on what works best for them. I like that. You know, here, here's, here's the deal. It doesn't really matter whether uh, the hourly wage stays at seven twenty-five or jumps up to ten bucks or jumps up to fifteen bucks. Sooner or later, those wages are going to go up. But regardless of when they do jump up, the cost of goods are constantly going up. I mean, it, no matter what things are, are still going to cost more. And this idea of creating passive income is, to me, the, the, uh, the golden ring, if you will. That should be the goal. Yeah, and, and, and it does start with saving money. you got to have some money saved, or, or you, know, you have to have some money to be able to invest in real estate or create other passive streams of income. The thing that I like about real estate is that it's twofold, in, in my opinion, is that it gives you some tax breaks, and it does or can create passive income, right? So to me, it, it, it's the best of two worlds, right? I mean, it, very few investments out there give you both a tax uh a tax write-off or uh, and give you passive income, right? Uh, so to me, I, I do like real estate, and and um, 
I think that it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure you've heard this as as well as probably everybody listening today is that, you know, real estate is is one of those items they can't make any more of. And that in itself makes it a fairly strong investment. And and I, and I like what you said about you know people who invested in real estate in 2005 and even maybe they bought at the you know what is it at the tail end of 2006 and in 2007 thing 2007 the market fell out well fast forward a few years later all of those home prices have have bounced back it's 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 a fairly safe investment compared to a lot of other things that's one of the reasons I like you know I like real estate it's just there's so it's it's very versatile for your for your wealth building uh, portfolio. Well, yeah, and, and we talk a lot about you know there there's three questions that you want to ask um, when you're thinking about where your money is, um, and and you know essentially what you want to know is you want to know how liquid is it. Um, can I get access to it? So one of the things when you think about real estate, when people dump a whole bunch of money, you buy buildings cash, for example. Right. Um, and this happens to us a lot too, which by the way, <clears throat> rates are really low right now. And we probably help educate. Uh, well, we do it not every day, but every week we're educating people as to why they should not refinance. Um, and get wooed into a lower interest rate because it doesn't make sense. But um, we do want to help them gain access to that equity in the event they need it for for higher cost debts. So the, the three questions are, is the money liquid? Do I have access to it? Is it safe? You know, that saying of it's better to get a return of my money than a return on my money. And then right. third and lastly is what is that rate of return? So and, and it goes in that order. I mean, nobody has ever said equity is king. It's cash is king. You want to have opportunity. You need to have the money to take opportunities. The, one of the reasons people get in trouble is because they're over leveraged. Cash flow is a really big deal. You, you've got to work within your means. For example, you buy rental properties. Um, do you have the ability to, to carry that in the event it's unrented for a month or two? And how? What's your strategy? is very important because if you if it absolutely must be hitting on all cylinders all the time then you're putting yourself in jeopardy absolutely absolutely you know what's what's so funny and, and this happens to me i have to admit uh you know when things are going good you forget that it will change and when I am able to remind myself that, hey, things are going to change, I have to buy this investment with an eye that it may go bad, that the market may go bad, right? So can I afford this when the market or if the market, you know, drops? And when you, you know, when you remind yourself of that, you know, sometimes, you, well, not sometimes, I think most of the time you'll make a better decision. Maybe you'll pass on a property because you can't take the risk that I have to float this for two, three, maybe six months, maybe a year. You know, it, it's 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 one of those things. But for me, I, that's that's one of my 
one of the things that I, I have put on my list when I'm evaluating a property is to remind myself, this market may turn tomorrow. Can I still afford this? And if the answer is yes, then I can pull the trigger. Right. Hey, listen. And if the answer is no, here, you can't. Go ahead. What's that? I said, if the answer is no, you can't. You can't. That's right. You, you don't want to expose yourself. You don't want to. That's absolutely correct. Todd, we're out of time. It's been great having you on the show. If people want to find out more about you, what's the website? Uh, affluentology.com. Affluentology.com. I love it. Yep, affluentology.com. Todd Gerke, thank you so much for stopping by. Looking forward to having you back again, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Good stuff there from Todd Gerke. A lot of great takeaways. You know, the number one thing is you got to pay yourself. You got to start looking at investing. Uh, and real estate is definitely a great place to invest. I would urge you to definitely get somebody to help you um, make, you know, it's like anything else. You know, it seems complicated at first until you've done it a few times, right? At one point, tying your shoes was complicated. At, uh, at one point, you know, riding a bike was complicated. Anything, you know, anything can be learned over time, but a lot of great stuff um, on today's show Let's share this episode with everyone we know. Let's help as many people as we can become more to become wealthier, to be have more security, to, to understand how money works. As always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. <laughs>